Hey, welcome to CCV, everybody. Whether you're on campus or online or on demand or on a treadmill, we're glad you're joining us. This is the third week in our series, Lead Like Jesus. We're just looking at principles of Jesus' leadership because no one has impacted the globe next to him. I mean, there's not even a close second who's impacted as much as Jesus Christ has. And what I wanna to do today is kind of, it might feel like a, a leadership seminar and you think, well, you just took leadership principles and baptized them and put them in the church, good for you. Actually, it's the other way around. Virtually all leadership seminars in our culture, whether it's a, a one hour or a, a retreat you go on, virtually all the principles are taken straight from the Bible and specifically from Jesus Christ, we're just taking them back. So any of you who have led, and you might lead in an organization, or maybe you're, you're raising kids in your home, that's a significant leadership. You're coaching a team for sports. Whatever your level of leadership, if you've been to one of those leadership seminars, this should sound familiar to you. If you look at the chart, you've got vision, mission, values, pretty standard stuff. And typically, they also talk about strategies. We're going to talk about those in the next two weeks of the series. But vision, mission, values. And all I want to do is clarify where Jesus was, what his vision, his mission, and his values were, how CCV aligns with Jesus' vision, mission, and values. And then I want to talk about my own. Not because I'm so important, but I want you to have a, a model because ultimately the me is not me, but you in here. So if you're taking notes online, you're gonna notice a PDF at the end of the notes. You just click on it, it downloads. You can take that home and fill out this part of the chart for you because here's what we know. Organizations that succeed have great clarity in their vision and mission and great consistency in their values. So that's, that's really where we're headed. To make sure we're talking the same language, let me just clarify what I mean by vision, mission, and values. Vision is where we're going. Leadership at its core is taking someone on a journey. So you start here, you see a preferred vision out there of the future, how your family could be better, your work could be better, your community could be better, and you take people on this leadership journey to a preferred future. Mission is how you get to the preferred future. In other words, mission answers the question, why we exist. Do you sell widgets? Are you a, a, a lawyer for people who've been in accidents? Are you an educational organization? Are you a sports team trying to win a championship? Why we exist, that is our mission to get us to our preferred future. Now values is how we operate. As we're going to our preferred future, by fulfilling our mission, the values are guardrails to make sure we don't get off track. And we've all seen people that because they violate their values, they can't accomplish their mission because they've destroyed their vision. Let's talk about Jesus in this. If you ask Jesus, what is your vision? Like, what do you see in, as a preferred future? Jesus would talk about a universal kingdom. And when he came bursting onto the scene, here's what he preached. The kingdom of God is here. 37 parables, he told. Every one of them is about the kingdom of God. 
Now his contemporaries heard kingdom and they thought, oh great, King David, those were our glory days, let's go back to those. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not near enough. Because his kingdom is not about the boundaries of Israel. It is about being king of kings and lord of lords. And it reminds me of a conversation I had a number of years ago. I was teaching this New Testament class on the history of the early church. So I thought it'd be a great idea to, to take the, the students over to a local synagogue and they could experience this cultural thing called a synagogue service. Friday night, the rabbi gets up and says, we don't believe that Messiah is a real person. Messiah is an age, kind of like the age of Aquarius. And the rabbi kind of went off on this little new agey kind of tangent about we'd all get along and hold hands, sing kumbaya, something. I don't remember exactly the words. Afterwards, they service refreshments. Now I'm standing in line with a couple students talking about the service and one of the older gentlemen of the congregation just kind of sidled up next to me and he kind of leans in and says softly, there are some of us that do believe in a real Messiah. I thought, that's interesting. Because I was teaching New Testament history at a Bible college. He was across town at the university teaching secular history. So we kind of had this professional respect for one another. I said, uh, okay, tell me, what is that, what's that Messiah going to look like? So he starts ticking off these bullet points and he is describing Jesus of Nazareth. And he knew he was. And I knew he knew he was because he had this little wry smile on his face. And I said, dude, you, like, you know you just described Jesus to me. So why don't you follow him? He said, there's one reason. Because Jesus did not unify Israel. Israel, through the years, has been oppressed by many nations. The Babylonians took them into captivity. And many of the Israelites stayed in captivity in Babylonia. And then the Assyrians did the same, and then the Syrians, and then the Romans, and history goes on. And he said, the prophets predicted that Messiah would unify the nation, and I knew he was right, and I'm embarrassed to say I did not have a response at the time, but I was going to get one. And the next year, I just dug in, and the, he was exactly right. The prophets predicted a unified Israel, but what I discovered changed my view, not only of Christianity, but of all religion. Here's what I discovered. Jesus unified Israel, not by bringing Israelites into the borders of a nation, but by taking the borders of the nation and expanding them to the world. It's the difference between an inside-out religion and an outside-in religion. And if you want to see what Jesus has in view for the future, like after all of the nation building is over, fast forward to Revelation chapter 7, beginning of verse 9. Here's his vision. After this I looked, and there was before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That is his vision. And CCV aligns with that vision. Now obviously we're in one city. So we don't have a global, like we believe in Jesus' universal kingdom, but for us, we're just trying to reach the valley. And if you look at our, really, this is our modest vision in light of Jesus' global aspirations. 
We want to reach the valley for Jesus Christ. So that when Revelation 7 becomes our reality, we're going to look around and see different ethnic groups from right here in the valley at the throne of God. We'll see women and men and children. We'll see those politically left and politically right, those who are rich and those who are poor from every walk of life because we believe that every person in this great valley, the city we live in and love, should have access to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. And you might think, boy, you guys are you're pretty aggressive. You've got 10 campuses. Isn't that enough? <laughs> Not even close. We're just getting started. Because if we're going to have a universal kingdom right here in the valley, then we need to have access to the gospel. We're not the only church. We recognize that. There's other great churches around. But we're going to do our part to see that every neighborhood, every company, every fire station, every school district has CCV ambassadors allowing people to have equal access to know Jesus Christ and to live out his commission where we live. You want to be on board with that? Because that's like, that's a really big vision. And a lot of people think, well, you know, this time of 2020 with all this going on, maybe we should just play defense. Are you kidding me? There's never been a more bullish market for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are going forward full speed ahead. Now, that's, thank you, that's, that's our vision at CCV. How do you apply that personally? Well, I have to ask the question for me, and you have to ask the question for you. Again, if you're taking notes, you can download the PDF and scribble some ideas uh, after the message is over, but I, I just want to share with you my own vision. And, and maybe a, a clue or a, a hint of how you can get to yours. Okay, here's the game I play. I pretend that I have a time machine. And I, and I step in the time machine, and there's buttons there, 10, 20, 30, so th those are years, and I just push 20 years. And I fast forward in time, and I open up the doors, and I look around. What does my family look like 20 years from now? That's my vision. What does my church look like? What does the city look like? What does your business look like 20 years from now? That is your preferred vision for the future. And I want to tell you more specifically what mine is. I don't just want to reach this valley for Jesus Christ. I want to do my part of bringing heaven to earth. So that 20 years from now, my family looks a little bit more like heaven. That there would be people welcomed into our family unit that are from different tongues and different tribes and different nations and different perspectives. That my church would be more diverse and more welcoming and less judgmental. That our church would reflect the realities of Revelation 7, 9 through 10. And maybe your job, you could envision the gospel of Jesus Christ having a greater play. Because after all, isn't this the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's my vision of a preferred future. How are we going to make that practical where we live? That's where our mission comes into play. And if you ask Jesus, what is your mission? He would say global evangelism. Like we don't even have to guess at that. 
Because the very last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, the last command he ever gave is called the Great Commission. It reads like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is Jesus' mission and our commission. How do we play that out here at CCV? This should sound familiar to you. We win, we train, we send. Have you seen that around? It's like on, on a bulletin board or on a banner or maybe on, on a little printed piece. This is the mission of our church, win, train, send. And one of the ways you can tell a successful organization is how clear the constituents are about the mission. Like you should be able to ask a janitor or a CEO and get the exact same response, this is our mission. You, you should ask someone who is a, a, a stakeholder in the company, as someone who is on the board, or someone who's a frontline worker, and it doesn't matter if it's a, a school, if it's a church, if it's a Fortune 500 company. Successful organizations are clear with their mission, so I wanna be crystal clear with what our mission is. So that if anyone asks you, you could just rattle off, not just win, train, send, but exactly what that means. You ready? Win. We win people to Christ. Now, I know that that can be read as kind of aggressive. We win, you lose. Ha! No. In our business, you don't just win, but you win, win, win. If you win someone to Jesus Christ, it's because you're winsome. You are presenting the gospel in a way that is truly good news, not pointing fingers, not judgmental, but good news. And if a person, because of you, accepts the good news of Jesus, guess what? Jesus wins because his honor is elevated. They win because their life is improved, and you win because you are more connected to the person you care about and to the Lord that you worship. That's the win, win, win. So could we just... Get all on the same page. Could we just say this together out loud? You ready? All our campuses and you on the treadmill. Win people to Christ. That's it. Win people to Christ. The second part is to train believers to become disciples. Sounds complicated. It's not. See, becoming a disciple of Jesus is simply taking your next step in faith. And for some of you, the next step might be that you believe in who Jesus is. Now make that a public declaration through water baptism. That could be your next step. Or maybe your next step is simply attending church consistently so that you are surrounding yourself with people worshiping God as often as possible. Maybe your next step is to join a group so you're not just hip to hip or row to row, but you're eyeball to eyeball with people who have faith, the same faith that you want to generate in your own life. For some of you, you've been waiting for an opportunity to serve, and maybe that's your, your next step, is to work with the kids in our kids' ministry. They're fabulous. Or students in students' ministry. Or maybe you just want to clean tables. We have a position for you there. Or direct traffic in the parking lot. Or maybe you want to come in the, in the middle of the week and help put folders together for the kids at ministry. Perhaps you want to do something. There's a hundred different things you can do to serve Jesus Christ 
through your local. Maybe that's your next step. Or maybe your next step is to tithe. So that Jesus is Lord, not just theoretically, but practically over your budget. Because my experience, once he's Lord of your finances, he has all kind of play in every area of your life. So that's what it means to train believers to become disciples. So can we just all get on the same page, say it together, all campuses, here we go. Train believers to become disciples. So we win people to Christ, we train believers to become disciples, and we send disciples to impact the world. Well, what's that look like? Do I have to go on a mission trip? No, that's a next step. What, what, what do I do then? Do I, do I serve somewhere? No, that's a next step. Most of what we do on mission trips and service is a step of your discipleship. If you want to impact the world, it is when you share what you know about Jesus with someone that you care about so that they know about Jesus. We cannot, cannot, cannot do it without you. You are the ambassadors for Christ in this community. We're not the kind of church that says, hey, come to us and you'll get blessed. No, we're the kind of church that says we will go to you. To every business in this valley, to every school district, to every neighborhood, to every hospital, we want ambassadors for Christ who are sharing the good news of Jesus. So would you, would you mind just saying that out loud with me? Just the send part. Send disciples to impact the world. Now if we go back to the chart, now all you have are the three words. You think you can still say it? Oh, come on, let's try. Ready? We win people to Christ, train believers to become disciples, and send disciples to impact the world. That was the, the mission of Jesus, the mission of CCV, but we all have to make it personal. And why I make it personal for me, here's a game that I play that helps me get clarity for my mission. It's just an epitaph. Like if I, someday I'm going to die, unless Jesus comes back, and they're going to write something on a stone slab about me. What do I want that slab to say? That might be your mission. In fact, let me, let me be even more clear with if you do print off the PDF and you take this home and you do this exercise, what will it look like for you to have a personal mission statement? Think about three circles. One circle is your gifts. What are you good at? My circle is not that big on that one, but we all have something we're good at. The other is opportunities that you have. The third one is what energizes you. If you'll just make a list of what energizes you, make a list of what gifts you have, make a list of what opportunities you have, those three circles will intersect in a very narrow band. That is your purpose, and your purpose is your mission. For me, I, I don't have a ton of gifts, but one that I know that I have and that I enjoy and that I have an opportunity for is to teach the Bible. This is kind of my, this is kind of my shtick. This is what I do. I don't know what you do. This is what I do. And there was a dude in the Bible. It's tucked way back in the Old Testament. I read this verse about his life, and I thought, that's what I want on my tombstone. You want to see it? Ezra 7, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws to Israel. 
That's what they said about Ezra. Here's what I want to say on my tombstone. That he taught the word of God. He made Jesus famous by teaching the word of God through the local church called CCV. Let me say that again. He made Jesus famous by teaching the word of God through the local church called CCV. That's what my life is all about. Yours doesn't have to be the same thing as mine. It has to be authentic to your, where your three circles intersect. And I can just hear somebody say, well, you know, my circles aren't that heavy. They're not that important. Oh, balderdash. There was a man by the name of Frank Wills. He was a security guard in Washington, D.C. He had this building, and at night, he would just make his rounds and check the doors, make sure the lights were off and the doors were locked. Frank Wills. The year was 1972. That's your clue. And he's walking down a hall, and he sees some duct tape over a door lock. And he thought, well, that's not right, because the door will be open then. So he took the duct tape off, and he went on his rounds. 30 minutes later, he comes back, and the duct tape was back on the door. And he thought, well, that's not right. So he called the police. And that's how they discovered Watergate. You might not think that your contribution is significant, but sometimes duct tape on a door is all that takes to change the presidency of the United States. By the way, they gave him a raise, $2.50 an hour. But then again, he got to change the presidency. And you may change something significant by what you consider a very insignificant role, but if you do it under God's grace, he will empower it and exponentially expand your influence. You know, there's a lot of people who come to church and they consider the church like a, like a cruise liner. And there's other church, people who come to church and they consider it like a battleship. And some of you are cruise liner Christians and some of you are battleship Christians. And you might be wondering, well, how would I know which kind of Christian I am? Very easy. By the question you ask. Cruise liner Christians ask, what do I want out of church? Battleship Christians ask, what does the church need out of me? And that's how you'll know if you are living on someone else's vision and mission or whether you are buying into the mission and vision of Jesus and using your life for his glory. And there's a, a man who's done that in our church so extraordinarily well. If you knew Brian personally and you followed him around professionally, you would go, this guy is like a big deal. But he is so poured into his church. He has volunteered in virtually every area at CCB you can volunteer in. And yet, he is a fabulous leader in his own professional world. I would like you to hear the story of Brian Brown. So Brian, you've been at CCB for 18 years. You're also the president of Dementia Care Education. Um, you're a leader in the marketplace. You're a leader here at church. You've served as a neighborhood leader. You've served in kids, students over the years, and missions. Um, when we do baptisms, you're one of our best volunteers there. You've been leading for a really long time now. Uh, what surprised you when you first got into leadership? Well, one of the first things that surprised me is that your best laid plans don't always work or come to fruition. <laughs> um, that really uh, life is full of all of these unexpected interruptions and, and really you really find out how to lead through those interruptions. 
One of the things that I, I, anyone who knows me, I always say is, you know, be available and willing to be interrupted. That's one of the core things of leadership. Seems like within those interruptions or even crisis moments, that's where leaders really rise up. And sometimes that's where you really become a leader is in those times. When, as a leader, when you hear the word vision, uh, what, what comes to mind? So vision is is really the the process of kind of crystallizing where you want to go, um, and you know for me uh, what I've learned over the years is it just can't be my vision. It has to be shared vision. Hmm. Um, you have to get your team together and understand where you're going together. If it's just my vision, then it's my way. It's my everything, and then you're basically going to have some people follow you, some people not buy into your vision. Mm -hmm. It has to be shared vision. It's one thing to talk about vision, uh, but how have you seen having strong values help in the organization? So they're, they're everything because um, you can say all you want, but if you don't have the framework for success, which is these strong values, whether they be respect, empathy, honesty, um, hard work um, and business standards. Um, those are the, the, the keys to sort of um, to build your foundation on. And if they're not there, then you have no foundation at all. You're just basically just working. How do you really take the values and drive them in the organization? So this is this is where I um, always kind of start um, the difference between positional leaders and inspirational leaders. Hmm. Positional leaders oftentimes will just put you know, the values up on the wall and, and have everybody look at them and, and, and kind of make sure that they even re reminded of what they are. But inspirational leaders will live, model, and really inspire their employees or the people that are under their sphere of influence yeah. to be able to understand why we do this the way that we do. Tell me about the, just this value of, of leading with humility and you, you've talked about this idea of, of, of shared leadership involving other people. Same concept applies at home. Yeah, um, so really, I, I think that a lot of leaders, specifically positional leaders, look for credit. Um, mm -hmm. they, they want the spotlight shined on them and said, you know, look what I have done and look, look and everything like that. Um, I always like to say it's about getting it right, not about being right. And so oh. with, with that, you know, it's about really, hey, it's awesome, we, we did this, and we did it for the kingdom or whatever purpose uh, it needs to be. And so it's, you know, the, you have to lead humbly because, you know, God opposes the proud. <laughs> so so with that in mind, you know, leading, leading with humility is always uh, God's posture. That, what you just said is leadership gold. The goal is to get it right, not to be right. Yep. And you could take that and apply it to your marriage apply it to your parenting, apply it to your friendships. You can apply it to every aspect of the workplace. And if you as a follower of Jesus walked into the workplace and said, the goal isn't for me to be right, it's for us to get it right. I'm gonna lead that way. Uh, that's someone that's gonna make a huge difference out there. You're a difference maker around here. And our church um, honestly wouldn't be the same without uh, people just like you that are out there leading and serving and giving your life away for the for the message of Jesus. So thank you. It's, it's my pleasure, and it's, it's great to be here with you today. You know, I, I, I know Brian personally, and he lives out his values. And, and I wanna key in on one thing you said about values, because if you look at the chart of leadership, if you're not clear about vision and mission, 
your organization cannot succeed. If it's a family, if it's a school, if it's a business, you need clarity in vision and mission. But with values, you need consistency. And if you're not living consistently, I don't care if, if, it's, a, if it's a company that you work for, if it's a, a prison system, if it's a police force, if you don't have consistency in your values, if you violate your values, you will never meet your mission because you will destroy your vision. Let me say that again. If you violate your values, you will never meet your mission because you will destroy your vision. And what Brian has done is to live consistently his values. And Ashley and I were talking about this actually. The greatest mistake of companies, families, educational institutions is not a lack of clarity here, but a lack of consistency here. And if your company, your business, or your family is not succeeding like you want it to, this would be the first place I would check if you're living consistently your values. One day they asked Jesus about his values. A lawyer came up and said, what is the greatest commandment of all the Old Testament? And Jesus said, love God, love people. He, he said it like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. There's a lot of freight in those two commands. And the way we've articulated that here at CCV is we've developed six core values that align with Jesus' two commands. Love God, love people. If you are taking notes, don't try to write all these down. I'm gonna go too fast. Just open up your app. They will all be there at a click of a button. But these are our six. Number one, we have a commitment to excellence. And the way we say it is, we set ridiculously high expectations and then exceed them. God and mediocrity don't mix. So if you're new to one of our campuses, you're wondering, why, why is this place so clean? Why is it so nice? Why are the, the services done with excellence? Why are the kids programming like over the top excellent? Because it is our view of God that drives our behavior in the organization. But second is a heart for evangelism. And the way we say that is, we will risk it all to win one more. Jesus' last command is our first priority. If there ever comes a day where we have no money but $1. We have $1 left. One you know what we're going to do with that $1? We're going to spend it to share the gospel with one more person. Our third commitment is relationships. And we say it like this. We value people over process, people first, every day. Number four is integrity. And we say it like this. We follow through every time, zero gap between what we say and do. And this is one of my favorite things uh, about our church. You'll notice that our staff we don't point people to another building. If someone comes with a kid and says, where's the nursery? We say, well, let me show you. And we walk with them because we don't want there to be any gap between what we say and what we do. The next value is servant attitude. I actually preached about that the very first week of our series. This is core to us. We pick up trash. We refuse to say, that's not my job. And I, I challenge you to do this. Whatever campus you come to, and for those of you online, when you're ready and when you feel safe, come, come to one of the campuses and just follow the campus pastor around or the other staff around. I promise you, 
If there's a piece of paper on the ground, they'll just bend down, they won't say anything, just bend down, pick it up, put it in your pocket. In fact, I would challenge you to all do the same thing because this is our church, not our church, it's our church. The final value is teamwork. And actually, the whole message last week was about teamwork. We celebrate teamwork over talent. And if you'll notice, this is our value, Christ. And going back to the chart, you will see how we put our values next to Jesus of love God, love people. But you have to make it your own. You've got to fill in this last one over here. And for me, to, to just to make it simple, I've just said, what, what are my go-to-the-mat issues? What are the three, that, like, start with three. What are three non-negotiables that you will never violate? Let me just share a few of mine. This is not all of them, but here's one. I will be in church. Like every week, I'm going to be in church. If it's here or on vacation or wherever I am, I will be. Why? Because I know that I need a worshiping community around me. It's just my value. A second value I have is from the time I was 12, got my first allowance, I have tithed off of every dollar I've earned. Why? It's not because I'm so good. It's because I know the seduction of money. And if I don't give that lordship to Jesus, there's no telling where it will lead me. Here's a third value, my marriage. My wife is the only woman who will ever have access to my heart. And so I won't be in a room alone with a woman. I'm not going to have a chat online with a woman who is not my wife. Because those are just some values. And where your values are, that's where you live out your leadership the most. Again, you might think that you don't have a, a great deal to contribute. I would disagree. There was a man named David Blair. The year was 1912, and he was a lookout for a cruise liner. His job was to be in the front of the ship, to take a, a pair of binoculars and look forward to make sure the ship wasn't going to run into anything. And he was very excited because he was going to be the lookout for a very famous cruise liner. And at the last minute, they pulled him out and they put another one in his spot. Some say he got fired. He might say, well, it was all political. But when he left the ship, he took a key to a locker with him. And in that locker was a pair of binoculars. And the next guy coming in to be the lookout for this famous cruise liner, he didn't bring his own pair of binoculars. And that is why the Titanic sunk. You might just think all you have to offer is a pair of binoculars. All you have to offer is a key. But that key may be what unlocks the gospel to some of the greatest potential that our church will ever have. You are needed, and you are of value, because when we win, train, and send, you're essential to that. And the vision of Jesus for a universal kingdom is in our valley to reach the entire valley for Jesus Christ, and your role is to join with us in making Jesus famous with the gifts he's given you. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are stunned by how good you are to us and the impact that Jesus has had. And we just want the honor of being an ambassador for him in the world in which we live. 
And I pray, Lord, that these principles that have been so foundational for the growth of the church and now are foundational in businesses would once again be reflected in leaders of our church using their gift of leadership in the marketplace to give Jesus a little more space for his kingdom to grow. We pray in his name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.